Blog Talk Radio. Oh, 
and whatever situation he's got. Of course, he said he'd tell us what he'd do next Sunday, this coming Sunday night. So, so uh, pray for him. It, it, it seemed like they're going through something pretty pretty rough, and and I don't know what it is, but but uh, and there are others in our church who really need prayer and uh, some stuff that's unspoken. Anybody else in here tonight got requests? He's praying for Mama big time. Yeah, do need pray. Do pray for Mama. She's had several of these shots in her eye, but today's today's is hurt worse. Yeah. Yeah. Pray for. Glenn goes to the hospital Tuesday. Yeah, her eye.
and of escape the tempter's snare by thy return, sweet hour of prayer. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, thy wings shall my petition bear to him whose truth and faithfulness engage the way soul to bless and since he bid me seek his face believe his word and trust his grace I'll cast on him my every care and wait for thee sweet hour of Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, may I thy consolation share, till from Mount God's lofty height I view my home and take my flight. This robe of flesh I'll drop and rise to seize the everlasting prize and shout while passing through the air. Farewell, farewell, sweet hour of prayer. Hallelujah. We get there, we won't have to pray no more. We'll just walk right on up to the throne of God. Hallelujah. We won't have a want or a wish or a need there either. Amen. It'll all be taken care of. Hallelujah. 109. 109. Send the light. Amen. Ain't no need to keep it at all to ourselves. There's a world dying in need of Jesus. There's a call come ringing for the restless wake. Send the light, send the light. There are souls to rescue, there are souls to save. Send the light, send the light, send the light. The blessed gospel light, let it shine from shore to shore. Send the light, the blessed gospel light, let it shine forevermore. We have heard the Macedonian call today. Send the light, send the light. And a golden offering at the cross we lay. Send the light, send the light, send the light. The blessed gospel light, let it shine from shore to shore. Send the light, the blessed gospel light, let it shine forevermore. Let us pray that grace be everywhere abound. Send the light, send the light, and the Christ-like spirit everywhere be found. Send the light. 
Can't change. It's settled. Hallelujah. He paid it all. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that he had eternal salvation he gave to me. It wasn't temporary. It wasn't just to... It didn't just cover what I had done thus far because he is without beginning, without end. He's eternal. Everything about him is eternal. My life is eternal. And he died and paid for all of it. Amen. He died for every one of my sins and every one of yours. Praise God. If you're saved, you're eternally saved. Proverbs 22, we're going to try to cover eight verses, so we're going to have to put it in, to put it in low and squall tires and take off. Yeah. So I've looked at this thing, and I've looked at this chapter, and it's got 29 verses, and, and we normally do six verses, okay? So, and, you know, that don't work out too well. You can do it five, but you're going to end up short on one of them. And I said, well, we'll do, we'll do, we'll do six one, we'll do seven one, we'll do, I'll do one of them eight, so here we go. So anyway, I think we can make it, though. Proverbs 22, verses 1 through 8, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get right into it. Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. I thank you tonight. Thank you for these people that are here, Lord, your people. And I pray tonight you'll bless them, that you'll speak to their hearts. Holy Spirit of God, use me tonight. I know I'm just a man. I'm just flesh and blood. Spirit of God, you're able to do great things with somebody just as simple as I am. Lord, you can take me and use me and pour out of me what you want people to hear. And that's what I ask you to do tonight. Give, Lord, give God the glory. I pray, Holy Spirit of God. Uh, may God get all the glory tonight and help us tonight. Help people that are listening in. Lord, I know there are young, there are young parents that listen tonight. I've got that, Lord, got some good teaching from the Word of God on how to raise children. And, Lord, I pray tonight that you'll help us. Lord, I just pray, Father, you just guide us and steer us. And, Lord, things that we don't necessarily need for ourselves, help us to remember to keep these things hidden in our heart because you'll bring somebody across our path that will need it. And, Lord, help us to be fountains of wisdom to them. And, Lord, we thank you tonight. We give you glory ahead of time for what you'll do tonight in our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, glory to God and shame on the devil. Let's get into it tonight. Amen. Verse 1, chapter 22. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. Now, I'm not going to drag these out tonight because we got eight of them, okay? So we'll kind of go quick on these. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. You know, a lot of people just think if you get rich, you just make money. But there's all kinds of wealth. You can be wealthy. You can be wealthy, have a healthy family, a happy family, and you're wealthier than somebody's got millions of dollars. It's miserable. I mean, if you've got a happy marriage, you got wealth that people who are living in chaos don't understand. But but another way is, is in having a good name. You know, and, and the wealth of being respected by people around you is very, very valuable. Being recognized as having excellence in character, being somebody that anybody could count on. You know, if you need help, you can turn to that person because you know good and well they won't let you down. That's valuable to be looked at like that. Having a good name is valuable beyond great riches. And, and, and a good name comes from having a clear conscience. Amen. A person that's got a, a dirty conscience ain't going to have a good name because they're hiding things and they're not a person of good character. But when you've got a clear conscience, things are right between you and God. So yes, you you live like that. Hey, you, you're going to have you're going to have a good reputation. You're going to be respected, and this honor is given because of noticeable virtue. People can see in you that you walk with the Lord. You have the testimony of faith. You have a testimony of obedience to God. 
And all that is is a reflection of the Spirit which dwells inside of you. Amen? That's a reflection of God who's there, and that is far to be desired more than riches in this world. And uh, and while it is true that having a good reputation and the, the affection of other people is more desirable than great riches, we also don't need to forget. You know, because people lean too far in the right direction sometimes. That's the danger of anything in life is not having balance. Because, again, the devil either try to get you to stop too short or he'll get you to try to go too far. He don't want you to go just right on anything. But even when it comes to this, because if you go too far with this, what happens? Well, your head swells up. Yeah. And you turns it, your, your, this good reputation turns into a snare. So the, on, the only honor that's really safe, it ain't an honor of man. Man give you all kinds of plaques and awards and trophies, and you'll paint your wall in them and show everybody, and go, hey, look at what I've done. And that ain't a good thing either. Listen, and, and I mean, hey, listen, but if, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you worked and studied and, and got you some kind of a, a, a degree or something like that, yeah, hang it up. But, but, but don't, don't brag on what you are. If you, have, if you have to brag, if you have to tell other people what you've done, then it ain't worth doing. It ain't worth saying. If you've done something worth worth noticing, somebody else will bring it up. So, again, a good name is good, but that needs to be addressed by other people and not yourself. So, uh, like I said, the only honor that's really safe is the honor that comes from God. And the second half of that verse says, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. So to have loving favor, the, the man or woman who appreciates the value of a good name, of favor, having favor with God and man, recognizes that that's worth more than silver and gold. To, 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 like I said, to everywhere you go, have people speaking kind to you and glad to see you and, and uh, patting you on the back and, and say, man, it's good to see you, man. You know, a person who ain't got a good spirit about them, a person who's, who's, who's not uh, a highly esteemed person, a person who's not well-respected, doesn't get that. But a but you know, some, again, somebody who's who's got a reputation of being honorable, a person who's got a reputation of walking with the Lord, a person who's got a reputation of being kind and helpful to others, people want to see that fella coming. They want to see that lady coming. They want to speak to them. They want to talk to them. They enjoy being in their presence. And again, that's loving favor. And I'd rather I'd rather have that than people duck and get out of the way when I'm coming down the street because they don't want to talk to me because they're afraid I'm gonna beat them out of some money or or, or tear them down or something. No, it's listen. It's a blessing to be to be respected and admired and cared for because of who's you who you are who who not who you are but whose you are, amen. Because who you are really don't matter. It's whose you are, and uh, you know, like I said, loving flavor rather than silver or gold. You know, one thing to think about: you can enjoy riches on this earth until your heart stops ticking, and that's it. You don't get not one more second to enjoy your riches. But if you have a good name, even though your riches are spent by somebody else, even though there's a rock sitting out in the cemetery over your bones, your name will keep on living. And people will talk about you and say, you remember old so-and-so? Boy, that was a good fellow. And you know what? And your kids, your kids and your grandkids, they say, wasn't you so-and-so's grandson? Oh, I tell you what, that was a fine fellow if there was that good name will continue to live on. There's a reason why people still talk about some historical figures. Why? Because they were such a good person and they did so much good. Right? 
and there's some that are infamous that people talk about because it's so bad too. But I mean, but that good reputation, Amen. That's what that, God says that's valuable. But we got our we got our priorities all skewed in this world, and we tend to think that things are important that really ain't. But when when we look at the way God God figures up what's valuable, we see things different than man does. Verse two: the rich and poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. That's pretty simple. But it's just the rich and poor meet together. The difference between rich and poor large in this world because rich man lives up on the hill in a fancy nice house and the poor folks they live in a, a little place crammed together with a bunch of other people and they ain't got much and and you know it's just it just seems that that's the way it is but you know Jesus tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus and you see the rich man he fared sumptuously every day which means he had everything a man could want he had all the nice food, everything he wanted to eat. He told him what he wanted. They cooked it for him. He put on fine clothes every day. He he had the finest of everything. And then the and poor old Lazarus outside his gate begging and got sores all over him. And he's just begging for the dogs to come over and lick the sores on his body to give him some relief from the itching and the, and the pus leaking out of his. I know it's horrible, but that's what it was. Okay, I know that's disgusting, but that's what the Bible's trying to explain to us. That's the the, the, the terrible condition this man was in. And, and it would seem as though there was a great, vast chasm between these two people because one's got everything and one of them got nothing. But the Bible says in the second half of that verse, the Lord's the maker of them all. The rich and the poor have the same creator. And both the rich and poor look at each we we tend they tend to see each other through through stereotypes, and, and and need to remember that the Lord is the maker of them all. Just because somebody has a better plight in life, just because somebody was necessarily was maybe was born into a family of wealth and prominence, doesn't mean that that person is any better of a person than that person that was born to poor parents and they never had nothing. The, the the physical makeup of the two individuals may not be any different, really, and and their character may not be any different. They can grow up in two different places, two different sets of circumstances, and turn out very similar, or they may turn out very different. But the fact of it is, they both have the same potential because they both have the same maker when they come into this world. And when I say potential, I'm not necessarily talking about earning power. What I'm talking about is the same potential to live and serve God. But People forget, and they judge people based on their wealth. They look at somebody and say, "Ooh, they're 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 elite, or they're you know they're better than me." No, they're not. No. <clears throat> you know, the best thing to do is treat all people with respect, regardless of how much money they got, regardless of what kind of vehicle they drive, regardless of what kind of house they got, regardless of what kind of clothes they wear. Because you know what, God can take a rich man who's got everything and bring him to poverty in a day or two. He can do it quicker than that. And he can also take a poor man who ain't got nothing and put him at the highest highest position. And if you don't believe me, take a look at what he's done with old Joseph. Joseph was in jail, and 30 minutes later, he was second in command of Egypt. God is able. God can do what we can't do. So God's the maker of them all. Here's the thing. Everybody's born into the same world. All of us come into this world naked. All of us come into this world helpless. All of us come into this world unconscious. They have to slap your rear end and wake you up when you come into this world. 
All of us come in the same way. All of us stand before God Almighty. All of us are dependent on God for our birth. Ain't nobody birthed themselves. God is the one who allows us to come into this world, amen? And all of us are subject to the same sorrows, we're subject to the same illnesses, and we're subject to the same temptation. And at the gate out of this world, the distinctions of riches and poverty is all dropped. So it's just during this little brief window we're in this world that we tend to make ourselves so important. Verse 3. A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. Prudent means careful. Prudent, a prudent man is, he checks prices on everything before he buys something. He shops around before he buys something. He don't just barrel off into some place before he finds out what he's going into. Prudent man is thoughtful. Prudent man is is very very uh, he's very much a thinker and he and he thinks before he acts. He's the opposite of a fool. So a, a prudent man works off of wisdom. So and wisdom wisdom don't always choose to fight. Sometimes sometimes it knows that there's a time when the best response to evil is to hide yourself and let the the danger pass by instead of just getting into the fight. So see the Bible says the prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. He says, I don't need to get in the middle of all that. I'm just going to step back and let it go. There's, there's, wisdom will tell you what needs to be done. There's times when when you get backed into the corner and you have no choice but to fight your way out, you know. And, and, and when I say fight your way out, I'm saying turn to the Lord. I'm not saying looking at your own strength. But what I'm saying is, there's times if you can avoid if you can avoid a confrontation, it's wise to do so because the confrontation is only going to bring you more trouble. So if you can avoid it, it's always best to avoid it. But there's times when you can't, and you got to rely on God to get you out of it. But the Bible says so. The, the, the simple, the prudent man, he sees that it's going to be a lot of trouble, so he hides himself. He says, "I don't want to get involved in that." But the simple, the Bible says, and before I jump into that and go too far. Uh, in Luke fourteen thirty one, the Bible says that what king going forth to make war against another king setteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand. Again, we going to fight a war, and all I got ten thousand, and he got twenty thousand. We might we might want to think about this before we get in this war. Again, a wise sits down and thinks about it and sees, hey, this ain't going to work out too good. Why don't we not fight this war? Amen? That might be the smart thing instead of just bowing up and saying, we're going to get y'all. Well, you might lose everybody. So the simple, the Bible says, but the simple pass on and are punished. The foolish man, the simple man doesn't have the cognitive ability, I guess, to comprehend danger and respond correctly. They have to endure more evil because of it, because they're not paying attention to the evil that may come upon them. They're not thinking things through. They just run right on into it. Again, that's why the Bible calls them simple. That word simple means stupid. Exactly what it means. It means you're stupid. I saw something funny this week. Uh, you seen that. I know you commented on it because I posted that. It said, a polite way to tell somebody they're stupid, that wisdom has always been chasing you, but you've always been faster. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Let me say that again. Wisdom has always been chasing you, but you've always been faster. That's a nice way of saying you're stupid. But uh, it's, and that's kind of what God's saying here. You know, the simple pass on. They just go ahead. They they 
they they just rush right on into whatever. And 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 again, they don't they don't understand. They, I guess they think the, the when the railroad things come down and go ding 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 ding, that's just pretty lights. Well, let's just go and see if we can make it. You ever seen anybody do that? I've seen videos. A lot of people get caught on railroad tracks. It don't ever work out well. And uh, but anyway, but they got they they bring more punishment on themselves because they don't listen. They don't think things through. They don't use the wisdom that God gives to a man. Verse four. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. By humility and the fear of the Lord. Those two qualities there, humility and the fear of the Lord, are connected. If you're humble, it's because you fear the Lord. There's no other reason to feel it. Be humble in this world. A man who doesn't a man who doesn't have any respect for the Lord is going to be a proud man. A man who doesn't have any respect for the Lord is going to be a haughty man. So, again, if you're humble, you have been humbled. You've come to the point to realize he's God, I'm not, and I don't need to be mouthy. I need to settle down. I need to treat him as my sovereign. I need to be quiet and listen. I need to follow and not lead. So if you come to the point to where you're humble, again, it's because you have reverence for God. And, uh, and humility is a proper view of yourself. When you don't, when, when you got too high of opinion of yourself, you need to stop. And watch yourself for a minute. You need to listen to yourself for a minute. The fear of the Lord is the proper view of God. Like I said, humility is the proper view of yourself. You realize without Him, I'd be nothing. And fear of the Lord is the proper view of God. You realize He's my everything, and I'm nothing. And the person who's got these two qualities in their life is well on their way down the path of wisdom. Because, again, you have to be in that position before you receive from God. If you don't fear him and you're not humble, you can't hear anything. You're like that dog running beside the car with the ears pinned back, ain't thinking about nothing. And that's why dogs get run over, because they foolishly run in and blind without even thinking. And that's the way people do. They just run like a dog chasing a car in this world and, and without God. And until you've humbled yourself before God, that's, that's exactly how you are. It's a per- perfect metaphor in my mind. <clears throat> but it says, so if you've got those two things, humility and fear of the Lord, with those things come riches and honor and life. Now, am I guaranteeing somebody that they'll be a rich person if they follow the Lord? No, I'd be dumb to do that. But what it does mean is blessing. God will bless that person. God God will. Now, how he chooses to bless, that's up to God Almighty. That ain't up to me. It may just be long life, and it may be that God honors you, and it may be that God bestows riches on you and entrusts you with those things. But that person who has humility and fear of the Lord, God, God trusts them to bless them, and they can expect some spiritual riches especially and honor and life and, and even maybe sometimes material things in this world. But the most humble Christian is a triumphant Christian. They've got the victory over this world. They know the, they know where their true riches lie. They know where the true power lies. And they know where peace lies. And so they've gotten the victory. Amen. This world can't do anything to them, shake them from their victory that they have in God. Now, let me say this. That don't mean a Christian who's, who's in that shape will never get depressed. David got depressed. Elijah, after Mount Carmel, he got depressed. Went sold by 
stalled up and sat down by the riverbank. God had to feed him with a raven, set a raven to feed him food. I mean, he got bummed out. He went and left there and went and got in a cave, sitting in a cave. God sent, a, sent an earthquake and a wind and a fire. Finally, just told him in the, out of that, he, he, he said, get up and go, go work. What are you doing in here? What are you doing? I ain't, I ain't getting out to tell you all them stories about people who got depressed in the Bible, but what I'm trying to say is this. Even though a person's humble and a person is respecting the Lord, fearing the Lord, and they've got blessings in their life, again, that doesn't mean they're impervious to the weight of this world. And I want to stress that because you, some, uh, if, you, if you know a Christian, a good Christian got depressed, don't sit and think, well, what happened to their faith? That doesn't have anything to do with their faith. And the reason I'm saying that and stressing that is because I want you to understand, it's not, <coughs> they're not depressed. They're not down because God has failed them in some way. They're not down because they're trusting God has waned for some reason. No, they get down, they get depressed. Why? Because of the weakness of the flesh. We have old flesh that we're carrying around that gets weak. It can get weary, and it can weight you down. And not only that, but then there's the weight of this world we're walking in. Amen? Just the, seeing others struggle so hard, seeing the troubles that others go through and how they suffer, that can weight a person down. <clears throat> so, yes, it's possible for a believer to get down and get depressed, but they need to keep their eyes on the Lord and get back up. Because God has a wealth of grace. He has a wealth of glory. You can't nobody deprive him of that, that person who has humility and fear of the Lord. That, listen, they got a, God's given them his grace, and God has given them his glory. Amen? I mean, my name's written down in heaven. Ain't nothing the devil can do about that. He can't change that. Spirit of God lives inside of me. The devil can't amputate that from me. Ain't nothing happened to take away what God has done in me and you. Amen? So we we got all the riches in the world. We just don't appreciate it sometimes like we ought to. Verse 5. Thorns and snares are in the way of the froward. He that doth keep his soul shall be far from them. Thorns and snares are in the way of the froward. Proverbs thirteen fifteen told us that the way of transgressors is hard. A person, and what does that mean? That means a person who's been saved for a while and living for God who goes back to the way they were before, they're going to have a hard road. They don't lose their salvation. God, just because you because you made a stupid choice and went back to living how you was living, try, trying, you can't go back to it. I, if you're saved, if you're ever born again saved, you can't really go back to the way you was before. You can go back and try to go through the motions of what you were before, but you'll never enjoy it like you used to because you know it's evil, you know it's wrong, you know it's sin, and you'll always know it because the Holy Spirit of God is going to be poking at you constantly. So you know that you ain't pleasing God. You know that what you're doing is is against God and his will, and you ain't right. And that voice, don't, it'll get quiet on you. You can shove it back and shove it back and shove it back and say, I don't want to hear that. But you know what? You can't hush the Holy Spirit of God if you're, if you're a believer. And it'll be hard. And God ain't going to let you thrive in that condition. I'm here to tell you tonight, there may be somebody listening to this tonight who's trying to live in sin, who's a believer, 
who's trying to do wrong because it feels good or because they're enjoying themselves or because because they're mad at God for some reason. People do stupid things for all kinds of reasons. But I'm here to tell you it ain't never going to get no easier. It's going to get harder and harder and harder to live for yourself. Thorns and snares describe the hard way of the froward, and that word froward means perverse. And if if you're a child of God who's been walking with God and you turn around and head back into the world, your way has turned perverse because you turn from the path of righteousness to the path of wickedness. Your way is perverted. Now, when we say perverted, that doesn't always mean sexual deviancy. I want you to understand that word pervert can mean it's just all messed up now. It's, it's, it's been, I mean, if you come, if I'm making a yellow cake mix and you come along and, and pour some vinegar in the middle of it, you have perverted my cake mix. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. You pour gasoline on top of my tomato plant, you have perverted my gardening. So, again, when you do something to disrupt it and mess it up, you perverted it. And that's what the word here means, forward. It's messed up. And, uh, but again, this metaphor here, like I said, it don't always refer to sexual things, but this metaphor here, it's, it's referring to things for like sexual temptation, alcohol, drugs, theft, and vandalism, and and people go off in that direction, especially young people. They get older, they get a little bit older, they get a driver's license, they get some friends who are wild and encourage. How do you know? I'm telling you the history of my life. I had wild friends when I was a teenager, and they tried to lead me off into sin, and I followed some of them. And shame on me for what I did and the things that I did back then. But I, this verse, it's, 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 it's talking to me because that's where I was at. Those are the kind of things that tempt young people. Again, I can get away from mom and daddy and get out and do some things they don't know I'm doing. And before long, it becomes habits. Before long, it becomes your routine, your usual. And people that are raised without a relationship with God barrel down this dangerous road that's infested with snares and traps. Again, it's the way of the fraud. You can be raised on the right road. You know what? You make a choice as a young person. I want to try that road. And when you do, the Bible said it's the way of the fraud. It's the way of the perverse. But the Bible said he that does keep his soul I'll be far from him. So he's not going to take that wrong road. If you want fewer temptations, you've got to get off the wrong road and get on the right road. And somebody said, well, it's just, it's hard. You don't understand how difficult life is. Well, get away from the things that tempt you. I can tell you, any any alcoholic will tell me, I'm having trouble not drinking. Well, stay away from the liquor store. Don't walk down the beer aisle in the grocery store. Stay away from it. You won't be tempted to do it. If you drive by it every day, you're going to have a hard time not pulling it in there. You know, if you quit smoking a cigarette, don't go buy some and keep them on your dresser just in case. Amen. Listen, there's a way to get away from temptation. You just have to make yourself do it. But he said, he that keep his soul, he that does keep his soul shall be far from him. So the wise man or woman keeps a watch over their life. They guard their soul, in other words. And they'll stay far from the way of the perverse. And the thorns and the snares associated with that way, they won't wind, they won't find themselves caught up in the thorns of this world because they're not going where the thorns are. 
I remember one. I, I've told the story before, but I remember one night, me and, me and boy, I, I, y'all probably remember the story. I'll start telling you. I was carrying him home. He was a teenager, and I was in my 20s, and, and uh, we seen a deer in the road in the middle of the night. It was young, stupid, had a, had, a, had a shotgun in the truck. Let's get it. Ain't nobody around. Game warden ain't around. Let's get it. Well, we shot at it. Wound up chasing that thing off. And that's the story of the armadillo, where I found out it was an armadillo about a mile out in the woods. But we wound up in a bunch of thorns. I wound up in a, I like tore that sweatshirt to pieces I had on, trying to get out of there. Now, if I hadn't got out the pickup truck, and I hadn't fired the shotgun, and I hadn't crossed the barbed wire fence, and I hadn't walked for about a half a mile to a mile off in the woods, I wouldn't have been in the thorns. But I went down the wrong way, and that's why I wound up in them, and that's how so many young people mess their life up, if they just stayed on the right road. If they just hadn't followed them friends down that road, they wouldn't find themselves in a messed up life on dope, piercings all in their face, tattoos all over, eat up with drugs, kids out of wedlock, troubles. How'd they get there? They went down the wrong road the perverse road. So let's, let's, let's look at verse 6. This is the main verse of our, of our lesson tonight. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. We know that. When we've heard that, we've quoted that. Everybody in here probably has quoted it at some point. <clears throat> well, let's look at it. Let's understand. Because we, we misquote stuff if we're not careful. Train up a child in the way he should go. I mean, a child needs training, right? That goes without saying. The job of a parent is not to just say, well, I just want to let them grow up however they need to grow up. Step back and let it happen. You make a terrible mistake, you do that. The job of the parent is to train that child and not just train them, but more importantly, train them in the way they should go. And I want us to look at it tonight because the way he should go, it has at least two senses here that we can understand this in. And these two senses complement each other. There's the sense of the Hebrew, the way the Hebrew says the way he should go. And the Hebrew speaks of a child's individual way and the child's inclination, what the child is, is more apt to be good at, what the child is more apt to you know, again, you you may have a creative child who's very musically inclined, or you may have a very brilliant child who's very uh, math and, and uh, thinking, you know, as far as problem solving and things of that nature. You may have a child who's just as gleeful and happy and, and ain't got a care in the world. So they're all different kinds of people, you know. And so everybody's not the same, are they? Every, every kid's different. I've got, listen, i got I got a bunch of kids, and all of them are they're similar, but they're all different, right? So one idea of this verse is is discerning and learning the child's strengths and weaknesses. As a parent, we ought to, you know, we ought to pay attention to the kids. And I and I know everybody in here doesn't raise your kids. I know I'm talking to folks who don't they all ain't got no kids, but I'm talking to people right here through this box that do. So just hear me like y'all are young parents, all right? <laughs> And like I said, this is stuff you put in your file folder in case you're around some young parents that need to hear these things. But, again, it's not wise to just raise a child without investing in that child. That's one thing, you know, my little girl, 
she's got she has some fantastic abilities and she has some roadblocks too in her life that she's had to work through because she she has she has very mild autism and and because of it she can't control her emotions and she has a hard time with with certain stimuli and she's going to have to learn to work through those things as she gets older but right now I realize she can't deal with them so we have to work around those things now Paul if every time she had a meltdown I just freaked out and spanked her that wouldn't be the right way to deal with it I can't handle it that way and she's a little girl and I can't be like I would be with a boy either I have to treat her differently and so training up a child in the way he should go means one size don't fit all we have to take into consideration the needs of that child but then the book of Proverbs also, it presents the concept of the way as being the path of wisdom and life. And that's in contrast, of course, to the way of foolishness and destruction, which we mentioned in the previous verse. Okay? And this is also the way to train a child in, the way he should go. It would mean it would mean uh, to dedicate the child according to to the child's physical and mental abilities and read all that okay so the way the child should go again the Hebrew it kind of it kind of answers the question it's kind of Train up a child according to his way, and like I said, in every child, there, there, there's every child has special abilities. Every child has something peculiar to them, and so in training a child, what do we want to do? We want to we want to find out what that child's talents are. Amen. We need, you know, I mean, as a parent, study your child, see the things your child is is interested in, and why is all this important? Why? Because if your child, if a child has has abilities and those things are are uh, fostered and, and helped to grow, that child may have some abilities, great abilities they can use for God someday. But if unless we frame them up to be something great for God, we shouldn't expect them to turn out to be anything great. I think God wants us to to look at our child or a grandchild or great grandchild as as somebody having unlimited possibilities. If we invest in them, if we help them to grow, if we encourage them to be great for God. But again, all children are different. No two children are alike. And another thing this word train up refers to, it it means to dedicate. To dedicate. The word that's used for that is often also used like when something's being consecrated a house or a person, something to the service of God. When, Whenever Savannah was born, we brought her in here. We had a little dedication service, and we dedicated her to the Lord. And, and basically saying, Lord, she is, she's yours, and, and we realize that she's been given to us to take care of and to raise and to train. But, Lord, she's yours, and I want her to live for you. And I did that with every single one of my children. So when my children... Uh, again, they're grown. Most of them are grown, and they're out on their own. And, 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 of course, they're not all doing exactly what I'd want them to be doing. And and I wonder sometimes if some of them, if God crosses their mind very often sometimes. And so when I have thoughts like that, what do I do? I say, Lord, you remember 
I give that child to you. That's yours. And, Lord, you deal with them. And I remind him that they've been dedicated to him. So he needs, again, they're, they're on their own. They're, they're grown. And so they answer to him. So, Lord, knock them in the head and get their attention. They're yours. And uh, so, again, we're to train them up and, and dedicate them to God. And when we dedicate our children to God, we're to nurse them, be kind, be gentle, be loving, be compassionate, help them, teach them, and discipline them, not as our child, but as God's child. You know, the state wants to claim that. Did you know that? The state, when I say the state, I mean the administrative state. I mean Hillary Clinton said it takes a village to raise a child. And they've been other people said that, well, they're not really your children. They're the state's children. No, they're not the state's children. They're God's children. They're not the state. Don't belong to the state. Never have, never will. God has entrusted them to the parents to raise them up for him. I'm talking Christian parents. Amen. And a, and a Christian parent ought to see raising their child as such as a duty before God. And the Bible said, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. That's, that's the part of this verse that we really need to understand. And when he's old, he'll not depart from it. And, and it's a wonderful principle and the, that the Holy Spirit can turn into a promise. Now, hear what I said. It is a wonderful principle that the Holy Spirit can turn into a promise <clears throat> for parents who have adult children that they're troubled over. It can, I said. When a child is trained the right way, even though they may depart for a season, and it might be a long season, in principle, they will return and not depart from it. I was raised right, and I departed when I was a, when I was a young person. I, I I did things my way. I set out to do things my way. It wasn't that I didn't love God. I just I, I loved him with my words. I didn't love him with my heart and my actions. You know, I, I never stopped loving him, but I stopped showing him I loved him. And it was 20 years that I was saved before I started really giving God what he what he expected of me. And uh, But I was raised right, and I knew right, and it never left me. And I'm here to tell you, I sat in some dope parties years ago with a bunch bunch of young people, you know, a little bit younger than me, all hanging out in my apartment. And the conversation would always end up turning to the Lord somehow, even even on, on, under the influence of, of substances. The, the the conversation always turned to the Lord, and the only explanation that I have for that that woman praying for me, because I can tell you. When I was far from God and I was not living for him and I, and I knew it, even when at my worst, at my lowest point, in a bar in Nashville, Tennessee, sitting on a bar stool, I sat and ministered to a man who, whose wife and children had gotten killed in a car wreck and was cursing God, trying my best to get him to see. And here I was. I wasn't right with God. I wasn't living for God. I was far from what God wanted me to be. But I had his witness in me, even though I was living. I wasn't somebody you brag on. No, no, I was at a low point in my life. But even though God still had that, he was still, he was still very much alive and at work in me. Numbers of times I can think back to how 
even though I was trying my best to run, God was still showing up in my life. And eventually, he got me hemmed up, and I had to turn around. And when I turned around, he was right there. And I ain't run since. Praise God. I ain't going to run. Why? I come back to what I had. I come back to what I was taught. Amen? And, and again, in principle, it says, does that mean they're all going to come back and get faithful to God and go to church and live for him? Does that mean they all will? No, there may be some that, that they know they ought to in their heart, but yet they still don't. But they know in principle they should. Amen? If it's in you, it ain't never going to leave. But we hope and pray that they turn around. Now, I'm going to give you an example. This don't always happen. And it's a very obvious example. Look at Mr. Solomon. Solomon, if anybody had wisdom, did he not have wisdom? Amen? And he lived all that long time. And then he wound up marrying all them women and had them concubines. And what happened? Well, he quit listening to his own advice. He quit listening to the Lord. And he turned and he went away from what he knew. Other Proverbs talk about, you know, a, a young person's choose sin. Ezekiel 18:20, The soul that sinneth it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither did the father bear the iniquity of the son. That means just because your son went wrong, that don't mean the daddy's going to bear the brunt of it. And just because the daddy was wicked don't mean the son's going to turn out wrong. That's what God's saying there. It said the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. But some, so again, some young people, they, 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 they turn and run from God by taking up with a shady crowd of drugs, alcohol, and crime. Proverbs 2, 11 through 15, we read a long time back, which said, Discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee, to deliver thee from the way of the evil man, from the man that speaketh forward things. Again, he's perverse. He's telling you things you ain't never heard before in your young virgin ears, telling you things. Trouble, uh, uh, again, somebody tell you, oh, man, we get it. we'll go do this, we'll go do that. You, we, man, we, don't forget what your mom and dad told you. We'll go find some fun, get in something. And, and, and get in some real trouble. And it sounds good to a young person. Yeah, I can get out and mom and daddy and get out and do something fun. And then they wind up in a mess. The Bible says they leave the paths of righteousness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice to do evil and delight in the frowardness of the wicked, whose ways are crooked, froward in their paths. Yeah. Sometimes it happens. And they some waste their living with whores, the Bible tells us in, in Proverbs 5, 11 and 14. And thou mourn at the last when thy flesh and thy body are consumed and say, how have I hated instruction and my heart despised reproof and have not obeyed the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to them that instructed me. I was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation and assembly. But this is the young person who went and went the way of the flesh and they wasted their life. And they wind up in, in misery, and, they, and you hear his cry. He said, I'm in, a, I'm in a mess. I was a fool. I did the wrong thing. I chose evil. You know the funny thing about the book of Proverbs? It ain't written to old people. It ain't written to parents. It's written to young people. That's who it's written to. If the parents were ultimately responsible for the moral choices, of young people, then this, there wouldn't be any point of addressing this book to young people if the parents was responsible. For 
for their choices, but they're not. Proverbs 1, 4 says to give subtlety to the simple and to the young man knowledge and discretion. So that's the point of this book. It's to help a young person to be able to make good choices and good decisions. Amen. And, and again, Solomon is a prime example of what not to do, and he stopped listening to God's instruction, and he strayed from that knowledge. Proverbs 19:27. he said, Cease, my son, to hear the instruction that causeth to err from the words of knowledge. So don't listen to those people who tell you things that cause you to go a different way than God. But he didn't even listen to his own wisdom that he gave. Verse 7. We're going to be done here in just a minute. Almost done. We're in the last stretch. The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. We know that for sure. Nothing like anybody in here is confused about that. But Proverbs 22.2 told us, remember we talked about the wealthy and the poor? Told us there's one important respect in which the rich and the poor are all the same. Again, all born into the world, helpless, naked, unconscious. We talked about that. We all come in here. We're all on the same standing when we come in. But the proverb reminds us that of a way that they're very different. Maybe all similar in the way we come into the world, but... Rich people have more authority. Rich people have more of a voice in the community than poor people do. So, again, in that regard, they are different. The rich ruleth over the poor. I can tell you, if, 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 the, if, the, if Clark City Clarksville decides to uh, build something, they're not going to consult with all the poor folks in town. No, it'll be a group of rich men get together, and they'll talk about it, and they'll plan it, and they'll make it happen. It won't be those that are poor. And what this is teaching is a person ought to really think of getting on credit and going into debt as a last resort. God's trying to tell us that. I know some people, you know, I mean, well, you got to have credit, got to have credit, got to have credit. I understand that. I, I, I get it. You know, you need to have some credit and, and ability to get some credit in case you get into a bind. I understand that. But just... Credit cards, credit cards, credit cards. There's so many people got themselves so deep in a hole they can't even see out of it with credit cards. And, and, and again, God is telling us in this, in this verse right here to be careful of such because people can, again, they ruin their life with that. And uh, we're to be careful of people who offer to lend us money because, again, you're getting yourself into trouble. And we need, and if, you, if you've lo- somebody's loaned you money, you need to plan and work to get out of debt quickly as possible because, again, you're paying interest. It's just money you're throwing away for no reason. Debt is crushing. Debt is demoralizing. Debt will make a person feel worthless. And, and too often, the rich, don't, they don't treat the poor nice when they're dealing with them. They deal with them in a harsh way. And unless a man is submitting to God's rule over him, that man can't be trusted to rule over other people. I mean, you take a look at Joe Biden. You trust him to rule over you? I don't trust him to rule over nothing. I don't trust the majority of them corrupt politicians in Washington, D.C. to rule over anything. I wouldn't trust trust them to rule over a a, a game of checkers, much less the federal government. But, again, and and I could go into a lot of things. I ain't got time to. We can go to the house. Let me hurry and get this done. But unless, unless a person, like I said, Unless a person has submitted themselves to God, unless a person is humble, unless a person realizes that God is their sovereign and they're following him, 
that person ain't good to rule because, again, they're not going to treat people with the proper uh, concern, with the proper care. They're going to treat people harshly. They're going to treat people cruelly, and they're not going to care if you fall on hard times. Oh, well, I'll take it back from you. Take, you lose what you got. That's why it ain't good to get in this, this situation of debt because the borrow is, borrower is servant to the lender. The, those that borrow money, they're in a lower place than those who lend money. And the application of this proverb is the wise man or the wise woman will do all they can uh, so to, to walk in the – do all you can to walk with God so you can walk in the path of, of godly blessing and prosperity, God having favor in your life, so you don't wind up in a situation where you've got to borrow money to survive. And if you have, if, if you know, you you'd rather be in the position of, of of lending somebody money than borrowing money from somebody. And I'm gonna recommend this to you. This ain't got nothing to do with with what the verse says, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna just tell you this right now. The best thing you can do is not lend money to nobody. If you want to give them something to help them, give it to them. But if you lend them money, you've lost your friend. You lend money to somebody, you've lost your friend because your friendship will die in the middle of that money. I guarantee you, that's the quickest way to lose a friend. <clears throat> but, uh, and, and this verse may be referring to the practice that went on with the Israelites. They would sell themselves into slavery to work off debts. Now, thank God we don't, I mean, I ain't never had to do that, but it ain't a whole lot different from the way things are trying to work off your bills in this world because you, like, you feel like somebody who's, who's a slave to the system. All right, we got one more verse, and we're going to get done and go to the house, all right? Verse 8, he that soweth iniquity shall reap vanity, and the rod of his anger shall fail. He that soweth iniquity shall reap vanity. If you do things wrong to make money, it ain't going to work out for you. You go about it the wrong way, you do it, you cheat somebody, or you come up with some kind of scheme to make money, it ain't going to work out good for you. Nobody ever going to get wealthy and, and, and sustain wealth doing things corrupt. just ain't going to happen. Ill-gotten gains don't work out. He that soweth iniquity, a person's, a person's sins, his iniquity, they're like seeds. When you commit sin, it's like you're sowing seeds in the garden. And in time, what do them seeds do? They come up out of the ground. And they, and they and they bring forth a harvest, don't they? And that sinner is going to reap some sorrow because of their sin that they sowed. And the crop is going to be according to the seed. Okay, if a man goes out in his, in his back his backyard and he plows the ground and he walks down through that through that windrow and he sows corn, he's not going to come back in a few weeks and find wheat growing. You're going to sow, you're going to reap what you sow. And if you sow to your flesh, the Bible tells you that you shall of the flesh reap corruption. Okay, I ain't got time to get over there in Galatians and chapters 5 and 6 and point all that out to you, but we'll get into it when we go through there in our study of Galatians. But as a believer in this life, if we live in sin as a believer, that sin is going to bring forth bad fruit in our life. Amen. I'm telling you right now, 
You may say, well, don't nobody know about it but me. God knows about it, and God is going to deal with it. And it will bring forth fruit. It might not bring forth fruit in your life right this minute. It might bring forth in your children's life. It might bring forth in your grandchildren's life or your great-grandchildren's life. But that fruit will manifest somewhere around you because God says that it will bear. Now on the other half of that verse, the rod of his anger shall fail. So the first the first half of that tells us, again, that ill-gotten gains won't turn out prosperous. But the second half of this verse is telling us that abused power won't last. That's encouraging to me. Because right now, again, I, and I ain't got time to go into a long spill on it, but right now in our country, there is some wicked people in power. There are wicked, criminal, corrupt, criminal, criminal, criminal people running our government. And they are trying their best to cling and hold on to power. And they've been working on getting that power for a very long time and, and corrupting the system for a very long time. They are abusing power, every single last one of them. And, again, it looks as though how will anybody, you know, I always ask myself the question, who is going to hold these people accountable? Who will? I say, well, maybe the Republicans. Well, there's a bunch of them that's corrupt, too. So who's going to hold them people corrupt, uh, accountable? There ain't nobody in our government. Is, I mean, what, the military? The military's got a bunch of corrupt people in it now. So who's going to do it? Who, 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 will, who will bring them all into court? It gets frustrating. It can get downright depressing. But the Bible says the rod of his anger shall fail. Abused power won't last. If the rod of authority turns into a rod of anger, and I'm going to tell you this, I've noticed this about the president. When he tries to talk about things, he just gets angry. He's starting to scream at people, and it's part of his, his Alzheimer's. But, again, he, it's turned into a rod of anger. Anytime somebody has become a dictator, what do they end up doing? They end up screaming and yelling at their people. The rod of their anger. Men rule by their passions instead of prudence. They're not careful. They they just they they they're again they're all about anger and and uh, and their 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 uh, emotions. And instead of caring about the people that they rule over, they don't they they're looking at doing nothing more than making themselves rich at the expense of the people that they're taking that that they're supposed to be taking care of. And God tells us that power is going to be short-lived. Amen? I like that. That, that. that blesses me and helps me this Wednesday night to know that God tells us that it ain't going to last. It may it may last longer than we want it to, but it's got an end coming. I say, I don't know how it's going to come down. I don't know how they'll ever handle it, but God knows. You think back in history, there have been a lot of bad dudes in, in office in a lot of places. And all of them seemed to find an end, didn't they? And if you know what, the Lord's either going to come take us out of this old world, or God will bring this old, He'll bring this one down too. It's just a matter of time, whatever He chooses to do. Let's stand together. I've kept you long enough tonight. I'm gonna, I'm gonna push, and we'll get up, and have a word of prayer, and go to the house tonight. Thank you for listening. That's the longest one we'll do on a Wednesday night for a good long while. I promise you. All right. Let's remember to keep everybody in our prayers. I know people are going through some hard things. 
and they really need prayers. And I'm going to tell you, knowing that they've got a church praying for them does so much good. And I know you know that because you've been prayed for. But pray faithfully for everybody that we mentioned, and let's ask God to help them. Let's go to the Lord tonight. Word of prayer. Be dismissed. Brother Byron, dismiss us in prayer. Yeah.